What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Bar Humbug, a podcast about the cuddliest of all movie genres, the Christmas movie. My name is Helen O'Hara and I'll be guiding the reindeer this foggy Christmas night. Wait, hang on, does that make me Rudolph? Uh, Today we're going to be talking, however, about Christmas Chronicles 2, which is new this year on Netflix, and we'll be contrasting that with 1994's The Santa Claus. Will this new contender soon be joining the ranks of the Christmas classics, or will it fall prey to an overlooked provision in the small print? Well, with me to find out are two of the world's greatest Christmas movie experts, two people who can recite chapter and verse on all Santa-related contracts. First up, I'm delighted to welcome film journalist, Bexdell Film Fest co-runner and Empire contributing editor, Beth Webb. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I've got a festive jumper on uh, and uh, yeah, very excited to get stuck in today to some bad Santas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not unfair. Uh, bad, possibly in different meanings of the word for both. Um, and we're also joined by another of my favourite people, Ali Plum, who is the Radio 1 film critic and creator of its fantastic Movies That Made Me series. How are you doing, Ali? Mm. Mm. so many christmas movies Mm. i mean i'm only covering a fraction of them because quite frankly i watched christmas land and christmas wonderland two different films and and immediately lost the will to live so you know (laughs) i i I didn't think i should inflict that on any of my guests but these ones i didn't feel quite so bad about but Just to kind of calibrate before we get started, you know, tell me your attitudes to Christmas movies as a whole. Are you an elf or more of a Grinch? Ooh. Uh, For me, the worse, the better a lot of the time. Like, I like them as cheesy as they (laughs) can get. I mean, if you pushed me for my favourite Christmas film, I do have to be boring and say it's a wonderful life because it's a a lifelong family tradition um, there. But I I love a cheesy Christmas film and I love a a secret Christmas film. So I'm talking about your diehards. I'm talking about Mm -hmm. your eyes wide shuts. I'm talking about a recent entry in the canon, which is Hustlers. Um, So that's Mm. my general, my general tude is cheesy, often terrible and like garish and brilliant is like my general (laughs) taste. (laughs) Fair enough. I can respect that. Ali, how about you? I think I like Mm. any movie that holds up to repeat viewings and you still find more and more to them. And there's something about the quantity and varying quality of Christmas movies Mm. where we can all get on board what is sometimes a difficult train to ride, which is this movie's terrible. I love it. (laughs) So, So sometimes I'm trying to convince people to watch, I don't know, some cut price bargain bin 
end of the Azta Q Jason Statham movie. And they're like, mm -hmm. why would I press play on war, for example? And I'm like, because it's funny and there are some good bits and there are some terrible bits. When yeah. it's Christmas, we are all aboard this train. The Polar Express to not that very good town is full steam ahead. <laughs> and I and I love that. I love that we can all kind of feel that vibe of, I know the holiday isn't good cinema, but I love the bit where, you know, let's say yeah. Cameron Diaz starts bopping up and down to um, the killers, whatever, yeah. you know, getting to a tent with Jude Law. So that sort of stuff. I love that about Christmas. But I will say this, two points really, basically, I reckon. When you try to critically appraise, as a film journalist, mm. Christmas movies, you are walking into a minefield. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if I step up and say, well, if we actually take a little moment to discuss the strengths of Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. The mise-en-scene, if you will. The kind of person <laughs> like myself who presses play on this podcast, for example, Santa Claus, right, Christmas Chronicles, you probably like them, otherwise you wouldn't have pressed play. So I step up and go, well, actually, the third act really falls apart. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing? So I find it often quite tough to properly go, is it a good film? It's more, let's mm. just talk about it, which if you don't mind, I'll probably be doing more of than actually That's fine. digging into it. Well, to be honest, I am going to ask you both at the end to rate them, because we've been asking everybody to rate them on Christmassiness and quality as two ah, separate ooh, concepts. Really right. Okay, so... Yeah thinking caps on for that but but i agree completely there is there is an element of um bonus points you get for being a christmas movie um yes. which you know can can offset a, a remarkable lack of quality in some cases <laughs> uh so so it is worth it is worth bearing that in mind and that is why I, I sort of split those two up because some films are extremely christmassy and they're therefore get a lot more leeway than perhaps they might deserve at other times <laughs> of the year um if we're honest but but i also do love critiquing these films from a place of love yeah, you know place, i've watched yeah. them all more than once uh but it is undeniable that some of them are quite quite bad as you say so okay so let's talk about these two films let me just set the, the two up we are going to go into spoilers um so if you haven't seen these two yet and you think you care about spoilers for them please do be warned go away watch them come back if you like uh, but Christmas, Christmas Chronicles 2 is directed by old Christmas hand Chris Columbus, and try and say that fast. Um, <laughs> it's these Kurt Russell return as the disturbingly sexy Santa Claus with Goldie Hawn as his Mrs. Claus, and they face another tough Christmas. That's because Kate Pierce, played by Darby Camp, who's the star of the first film, she's now a little bit older and she's unhappy that her mum, played by Kimberly Williams Paisley, is potentially getting remarried to her new boyfriend Bob, played by Tyrese Gibson. Well done, Kimberly. Um, but she and Bob's anxious son, Jack, played by Jazir Bruno, get sucked through a wormhole back to the North Pole from their Hawaiian vacation. And she once again meets up with Santa and discovers that their predicament is all down to the connivance of a former elf called Bell Snickle, played by Hunt for the Wilder People's Julian Dennison. And he's determined to end Christmas once and for all. Uh, it's quite complicated and really probably didn't need to be. Anyway... Uh, then the Santa Claus, which is directed by John Pasquin, stars Tim Allen as Scott Calvin, who's a toy company executive trying to adjust to divorced life and shared company of his son, Charlie, played by Eric Lloyd. But one Christmas night, Scott startles Santa, who falls off the roof and dies, which is a very <laughs> Christmassy start to a movie. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> so Scott puts on his suit to finish Santa's deliveries at his son's behest. But that means that the Santa Claus in the small print kicks in 
and he must now become the new Father Christmas. While facing the fact that everyone who knows him thinks he might be a little bit crazy, everyone's confused by the changes in his appearance as he becomes more santi and uh, he faces losing custody of his son because of his claim that he is the real Santa Claus. So, I mean... I'll be honest, some of the films that I've paired for this show, um, I've had to explain why I put them together. My thinking in this case is literally Santa's. <laughs> so so that's it. Um but but what did you what did you think of the two as a sort of comparison? Well, I like that in both of them they are far from what I would call jolly. I think they're right. both um when they say bad, I mean more in the vein of kind of badass. So mm-hmm. um you've got Kurt Russell, obviously, who has taken some time out of some pretty uh I mean, outside of these films, he's done what, Bone Tomahawk, he's done Fast and the Furious, he's done Quentin Tarantino films, and then just sort of sidestepped to kind of go <laughs> up to these um to do these two entries. But I love that he's got this kind of badass tube where he's got the sunglasses. He does a musical number in this in this one, which is quite it's it's quite mm. good to happen. But yeah, he's got he's got a real sense of like there's no laughing at him for this. Like he's taking it really quite seriously, which is pretty great. Um, and then the same with Tim Allen in the uh, in the Santa Claus. Like there's nothing merry about a custody battle, but he's like obviously embroiled in that and in his own kind of sense of trying to work out who he is and then at the same time transforming into a bit of a daddy so I think there's like something to be said about how these two men are portrayed like it's not the kind of wholesome sort of soft-bellied they are both soft-bellied but the kind of soft-bellied lads that we so often associate Father Christmas Mm. with. I feel like Kurt Russell's Santa would want us to point out he's not soft-bellied. He makes a big thing of that in the first film, that his belly is actually quite flat. So I just want to say that on his behalf right here. Yeah. Ali, how about you? I think this taps into the other side of, of kind of assessing a Christmas movie, is that, how can I put this? The plots often get really overly complicated because there mm-hmm. isn't enough tale to tell in of the Christmassy side. So... I've always loved the concept of the Santa Claus. Even as a kid, it delighted me the idea that you could, without necessarily realising it, become Santa. Because you can't be Santa forever. There's an accident. You might want to retire. But if you put on the trousers and you put on the jacket, then kind of actually you're Santa. And I love the idea. That is a dream I think we've all had of what if our dad, what if our mum, if our parents were Santa? That's a great idea. And there's that Mm. lovely wordplay pun, and I'll watch any movie based on a pun, Toy Story, Arthur Christmas. I love it. So I think the concept is great, but there's not enough mileage for a 90-minute movie. Mm. So what do they do? It's a custody battle film. It's Kramer versus Kringle. It's unbelievable (laughs) that they turn this film into what is so unkiddy. If you Mm. compare it to Christmas Chronicles, it is I think, a perfect example of over-universe expansion. The first film is they go on an adventure. The second film is the elves and there are bad elf and then there's the Christmas Bethlehem star, but we're not going to talk too much about Jesus. And there are some other elves in Turkey and it's this humongous, you know, over-complication of what is essentially at first a a simple Christmas story. So Mm. you can see the writers going, but then what happens? So So Tim Allen is Santa now. Okay, and then what happens? And they have to kind of cook up this, frankly, dull. As a kid, I must have been bored off my seat. (laughs) I I remember the first 15 minutes going, brilliant. Falling off, Mm -hmm. he's a grump. 
he becomes Santa, he doesn't like it. And then later on, there's the whole like, oh, I've eaten too much and I can't stop having milk. And as a child, that mm. is good. But in, with 2020 glasses on, it's not great. But <laughs> I, I see what I can feel them writing the scene going, this is working. And then you're writing a bit where the, you know, the psychiatrist stepdad figure and the mum are having realisations about what they last asked for as a Christmas present. And you go, (laughs) you want an adventure, you want excitement, Mm. you want Santa being Santa and you want the dream of your dad becoming St. Nick. But but wouldn't you say, watching it, uh, please agree with me, there were moments of just going... (laughs) This is ultimately and? a custody battle movie Yeah, where one like, of them is Santa. Yeah, it's, it's also a bit of a body horror movie. It is. Where, like, it's quite, <laughs> it it's quite horrific, the Santa Claus. <laughs> this idea that, you know, he loses control of his own body. He's suddenly not just going grey. We've all been there and, you know, that's what L'Oreal is for. But um, it, he's, he's literally, he can't shave without immediately regrowing a full beard his body's completely changing. He still is fit. We see him go to the doctor and do his running tests. He's still a fit person. Uh, but he's now carrying this, you know, belly like a bowl full of jelly or mm. whatever. It's, it is quite horrific in some respects. And it's, you know, it's early CG. I think it holds up reasonably well. Yeah. Mostly. Uh. The transformation in the mirror. I, I'm not saying it's a werewolf in London, but it's not terrible. Maybe it is. <laughs> well, the reindeer are a bit shaky. I, I the reindeer are shaky. Yeah. That's fair. I actually quite like how he disappears down the um the the chimneys or the small pipes or whatever he does. I think that kind of floating and then going whoop that's kind of a fun cartoony thing. <laughs> I do think yeah. the beard coming back is is horrific. Um, mm. A lot of what he goes through is horrible. And the other thing that Christmas movies can have uh, come a cropper with is that it has to be based around Christmas. Mm. as in the time as in it has to be yeah. the end of the year but if you're doing a custody battle thing you've got nine ten eleven months of so right um it's terrible being a kid in this situation yeah, <laughs> uh, and it, sort of, it sort of has to skip briskly through that that those intervening months so it can begin and end at christmas um and it's it's the thing about the Christmas thing, and it comes up in every single Santa movie, I think I'm right in saying, is that it sets this deadline. Yeah. Everything has to happen by midnight Christmas Eve. It has to. And so everything, Fred Claus, Arthur Christmas, you know, uh, Miracle on 34th Street even, you know, the sort of most most restrained of all Santa movies, it has to happen by midnight on Christmas Eve. Mm. Um and that means that they, there is always this temptation to make it some giant quest that has to be completed by that time. Yeah, it's a tricky thing. Is it all right if I broached the topic of just Tim Allen generally? Yeah, I think we should probably touch on that. Because I watched this film, and like I say, I really like the conceit. And I would like the movie to have just been an adventure film, like the first Christmas Chronicles. <laughs> like they go on an adventure together. The son and the dad bond. They, they've they been estranged, but now they get together and they're actually having a lovely, jolly time. That's what I would like the movie to have been and not to have been a custody battle. That's my big pitch. Mm. But I think at first I was like, oh, is Tim Allen the right casting for this? Because if you go for the the Tom Hanks guy, yeah. you, you don't buy Tom Hanks as being a total arse. Yeah. And Tim Allen can sell arse so to speak. What he can't necessarily do is make me love him. No, I would agree with you there. But if you, Bill Murray is the king of this. Groundhog Mm. Day is a miracle because of him and many other reasons, but part of it is because you can believe him as as an arse and you can believe him as a good guy. 
Mm. Yeah. And that's Scrooged as well. Scrooged, yeah. exactly. That people yeah. can acknowledge the the Ghostbusters grumpiness of him, and that's what makes him magical. Tim Allen can give me the grumpy, I've burnt the turkey, I'm going to look at other kids and their parents in this horrible fast food joint moment. And I can buy it, but I can't quite love him. His sincerity is not as convincing as his sarcasm, yes. basically. He doesn't no. have, I want him to have the Tom Hanks side better. I don't think mm. he's terribly cast at all. There are just moments where I felt like I should have been like, oh, yes, snuggly and lovely, and I'm glad he's doing well. Whereas in reality, I'm like, oh, you're a bit of a, yeah. The kids, <laughs> the kid does a lot of the heavy lifting in that film, I think. And in yeah. Really, Emotionally, yeah. Absolutely. And in terms of, um, I, I think he becomes, Tim Allen becomes more likable the more the relationship with the kid strengthens. I think you're completely right, Ali. It's... um. He's got he's got this wholesome sort of actually he's not he's not got the sort of wholesome dad cut out lockdown which is you know obviously what we see or saw in Home Improvements but um, mm. yeah it's it's tough he's tough to love he's tough to love and I, I mean is is some of that coming from sort of hindsight because you know in the nineties like he was coming off Home Improvement he was you know kind of riding a bit of a wave is some of this the fact that perhaps he you know it, he's had some controversies in the past coming through that we didn't know about maybe when we first saw this they're not in my mind as i'm re-watching this i honestly and truly mean it i'm watching this with 1990s goggles the best i can i think he manages to sell lines like he's not a doctor he's a psychologist or whatever i think he managed <laughs> to say yes his head goes into a point and it's like it's not that funny but you're actually giving a little bit of bitter twistedness and i yeah. kind of like you know he gets away with quite a few of the lines like when I wake up and all that stuff. And he's got to do a little bit of the, oh, I'm wearing the pyjamas that I was given in the North Pole. You know, I don't want to dismiss him. I just feel like I would like to have seen maybe a Chris Pratt. Is that is that Ooh. a crazy idea? If they were to... Re- we are due a remake, I feel like. I so. genuinely think this is a movie, which is a good example of a good core conceit, but the actual storyline isn't very fun. And I think if you took that good core conceit and made them go on an adventure or gave them some actual peril that wasn't to do with the breakdown of a family and a child losing his mind, this movie's idea is that he's kind of sort of being gaslit by reality. Mm. That's horrible. You're you're a nine-year-old or whatever, and the truth will not set you free. You have to live a secret life where you know the ultimate truth about Christmas. No one else can know because your dad said I'd give you five dollars. Yeah, it, it, that, I think that I think you've just hit the nail on the head of why I never loved the Santa movie, even as or the Santa Claus, even as a kid. It is there is a sort of harshness to it underneath for the most part, but it, it, you feel it there. It's it's really quite traumatic that Charlie goes through all this, and yeah. even Scott is telling him, "No, it was just a dream. No, it didn't happen." for For a large part of the movie, I just feel like it's. 40% towards being a classic. And I watched it going, I remember loving this. I Yeah, and he slides down, then he puts on the trousers. And I, then, and I know this is a 2020 problem. Like we're looking at it going, well, it's a different time. But I still think they could have fixed this. I think this mm. was a first pass script. I'm being so shady now. <laughs> um, but it felt a bit first pass. Whereas I think despite all its overblownness, Christmas Chronicles kind of knew what it was doing. Mm. Yeah. It, it goes, okay, so Santa Claus is telling you the idea that your dad becomes Santa. 
And then it's telling you the idea of what happened if your dad became Santa and what would it like to be your son being the kid in the sleigh and you go off on an adventure. Christmas Chronicles knows you love elves. You love toys. You love random tech babble. You love slaying through the sky. And it's I think it delivers a lot more fun family deliverables, mm. so to speak. I mean, does, does it make a difference that, you know, obviously uh, the Santa Claus is directed by John Pasquin, who is a regular Tim Allen guy. He was one of the key directors on Home Improvement. He's worked with uh, Tim Allen on a number of films, whereas... Christmas Chronicles, both of them were directed by Chris Columbus, who has a lot of form in Christmas movies, not least, of course, Home Alone. So does it help that he maybe like he does seem to kind of chime with Christmassiness, uh, technical term, in maybe a way that other directors don't? I mean, imagine for a moment, by the way, like we're talking about divorce and, and, and custody battles and so on. But imagine that the heart of the Santa Claus had been directed by, say, a Steven Spielberg, yeah. someone who is excellent at divorce and custody battles yeah. and and adjusting to a new normal mm. um, for kids. You know, it, that could have worked maybe with with someone, you know, with, a, again, just a little more heart injected into that story. Yeah, and maybe with a bigger budget, dare I say it. I've, that is also a factor with Christmas movies, you're right. I watched the Santa Claus going, shoot, you need to have at least three scenes on the bounce, which are just people talking. You know when you're watching the bottle episode of your favourite show and you go, yeah. oh, yeah, okay. So this is the Star Trek episode where they have a big conversation. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. They're saving go. up for a finale. It'll all pay off in the It'll end. It'll pay off in the end you know? and they'll float above the sky. Whereas Christmas, Chronicles 2, even more than the first one, is a proper carpet bomb of money. It is a mm. constant <laughs> glitter shower of cash. The CGI is everywhere. They've got the, the my least favourite bit of the first film were the elves. And they go, mm. we hear you, Ali. Let's make a whole movie about them. Um, <laughs> but there is so much CGI and money in this film. There is mm. so much of it. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe just how... Just, I mean, I fully thought it was one of the most expensive-looking Christmas movies I've ever seen. It is. It probably yeah. was. But I think this is where, like, it just would have been nice to, to strike a balance because, again, for coming back to the Santa Claus, I don't think it spent nearly enough time in that world. And they had such a great... Such great potential there. I mean, if you look at David Krimholtz's Bernard, like, I would have liked to have seen a film just with him in it, to be honest. Just about Bernard. Just about Bernard. And it was the kind of film where you didn't need a huge amount of CGI to to make that side of or, or the mythology around Father Christmas, like, great and funny and contemporary and relevant and and, and wonderful. And then, as Ali says, on, on the other hand, you have this just glitter bomb of... I don't even know how to to describe the elves. They're pint sized. They've got massive eyes. Literally, yeah. They're they're literally pint sized. They've got some pretty. um, I mean, I'm looking at Ali's facial hair right now, and it's not far off in some cases. They speak. What What is the language? It is it well. That is elvish. Um, And it was created, I believe, for the films. And there is a fantastic Kurt Russell quote uh, in an interview he did for this film, talking about the fact that he thought if they spoke in Elvish, if he spoke in Elvish to the elves, that it would add to the authenticity of the movie, which is (laughs) is just such a delightful thought. I I really, I get it. It it stopped me in my tracks, that quote. It's lovely. What I love about quotes like that is I think as human beings, we actually live and thrive on having conversations face to face or over phone calls like this where it makes sense within context. But that is such a don't write that down. <laughs> Just don't write it down. <laughs> when that's in print, oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's right. But, it I mean, does he add commits, to, the, to you know, the, you know, 
Yeah. I, I, I tell you what, it always feels cynical when you watch a kid's movie and you go, oh, there are the minions. They're the minions. <laughs> yeah. Got it. You know, you're watching, yep. you know, watching Madagascar, you go, penguins, got it. Yep, there they are. Yep. And it happens so often in kids' movies. I mean, even Frozen obviously has, to an extent, um, mm. our little stony trolls. So mm-hmm. they're everywhere, but they really double down on this one. Did, can we talk about how our friend from Deadpool 2 and Hunt for the World of People looks mm. as an elf? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, They've managed to make him look vaguely like himself. Yes. In a strange way as an elf. I love what they were trying to do. I I think at times I found myself going, this is like some, uh, this is like a gremlin. I I found it like as a gremlin. With the ears and the little kind of poor hands. I have to say I laughed out loud when he's becoming bad and he suddenly starts wearing leather jackets with cut off sleeves. I just. There is a real BDSM vibe about it. I love it. Just (laughs) loved it. How can we indicate that he's bad? Whoopee cushions, breaking another elf's back, pushing him down some stairs and throwing presents at his head. Leather jacket. <laughs> Leather jacket. It's a very sort of 1950s version of what a delinquent looks like, isn't it? He's about to do a cheeky run with Santa with the sleighs at the end. <laughs> I would I would like to say something for Julian Dennison at this moment. So he's obviously been cast as a bad egg uh, in several films now. And I met him, I interviewed him for, uh, for Hunt for the Wilder People, one of the greatest movies of the last 10 years. And um, he was there with his mum. And I've got to say, he is one of the most polite, well-spoken, you know, delightful young people I have ever had the pleasure of interviewing. And, uh, and like literally wouldn't curse in front of his mum when we were discussing some of the lines in the film. So I just, I would like somebody out there, please, to cast him as, as a nice kid uh, soon. That would be lovely if you could. Thank you very much. I feel like he deserves better than always being the bad egg. I did like him in this. That said, he, oh, he yeah. did commit really, like, fantastically. <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing him uh, being the surly, the surly kid who just wants Kurt Russell to love him. Like yeah. we all do. <laughs> like we all do. Like, I think a lot of Santa movies are essentially daddy issues, and I know you love that as a, as a movie topic, Helen, but <laughs> it's just daddy, 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 daddy issues. And even the elf has the daddy. It's just yeah. everywhere everywhere i mean kurt russell in this is i believe i'm right in saying a zaddy well and not just a daddy i'll tell yes. you what he's he's not a snack he's a meal Ooh, what a man <laughs> he is cut, whole, cut me a slice meal. of that christmas pudding um could we talk about the the fact that this movie throws everything at the screen christmas chronicles 2 it, you know you you know you're in for a good time and you can just disengage brain where they go mm. two-thirds of the way through how about some time travel <laughs> it just and i feel like there's a game to be played on twitter of what movie would be improved if at the beginning of the third act they chucked in time travel because it is a <laughs> baller bit of script writing to go not the first act not the second act at the final stretch of my movie we are going to have time travel it is amazing <laughs> it's it's it, it was quite inexplicable to me I, I got where they were going in the end obviously and i did get there to my credit slightly before the stars did it was like oh that's gonna be her dad closure um but but i was just like why are we time traveling why is there why is there more plot happening why? i don't want more plots this film Please needs stop. more plot we're running out of plot <laughs> <laughs> said no one also can we just take a moment 
to appreciate that the main crux of that whole sequence is, yes, that gorgeous song that you talked about, Beth, but the fact mm. that batteries go off just <laughs> get in the bin, get in the bin. That is not a, that's not a plot point in reality and that's not a plot point in a film. You've done time travel where you can go wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, and then the batteries have gone off. Yeah. <laughs> That is incredibly stubborn. Also, the, the idea that Santa doesn't have multiple batteries in his pocket is also offensive. Batteries may not be included with normal toys, but with Santa gifts, there should always be batteries. He should always have batteries handy. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. Now, I will say, in the film's defense, we saw in the first film there was at the very least a, a suggestion that Santa set the whole thing up. Mm to kind of restore, to help these two kids and that the entire plot was something he could easily have sorted out himself, but he wanted to give them yada yada the experience. And I think that's got to be the only possible explanation <laughs> for the batteries yeah. is that he was trying to set it up so she would meet her dad, she would have that moment of closure and he could go off and sing with Darlene Love exactly. because who would want to do that? I mean, Christmas legend. We also need to talk about how in the first film there is a big plot point where they can't get enough money to get in a cab to go somewhere. So they have to kind of sort of nick the car of someone's some bad guy's mm. car right and so he, he goes up to this lady and i my favorite bits of the christmas chronicles movies is where santa knows everything about you and he's basically yeah. your best friend and you've never known it he's the guardian angel he knows what you wanted for christmas every year he knows what you really like and who you really are and that's an amazing gorgeous superpower and i think it's of note that the the theme the score to uh our kurt russell santa is a mm. superhero theme when he yeah. is on the sleigh, it is Avengers for sure. But there's this bit where he goes up to the uh, maitre d' of a um, Irish bar and says, "Do you have any money?" And she, <laughs> maitre d's of Irish bar. And she goes, <laughs> "She goes, I ain't got no money." And you go, "Okay, mm -hmm. well that's the rest of the plot." And off you go. In this movie, he sees a a mall Santa trying to say raise money for charity. Money, money, money coming out that bucket. No problem. He's got the money now. <laughs> what the? You know? What the? <laughs> He set the whole thing up. He, says, he can do whatever he wants. I'm and he not just forgets. Yoda. You are Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually have my Christmas Yoda here with oh, me. Just, his little candy cane. His little candy cane oh. cane. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do want to talk about Mrs. Claus in a minute as well. But but speaking of these two standards, is there something in the idea that every generation gets maybe the Santa they deserve, but certainly that the Santas we get say something about the time we're in? You know, there's there's a very different Santa 
in Santa Claus the movie to the Santa Claus to Christmas Chronicles. You know, there is some kind of change in terms of what he can do, what his priorities are, you know, what his focus is uh, between all of these different portrayals, it feels like. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about my my favourite Father Christmas, which is Raymond Briggs' Father Christmas. Where, where all he wants is a holiday. He just wants to breathe in. Yeah. He just wants to go to Vegas and eat steak. And I just think there's something so lovely about, um, you know, recognising the labour that goes into being Father Christmas and the endurance and, uh, and the idea that maybe just sometimes he needs a bit of a break, which is... Yeah. As we say, your parents, you know, the labour and, and the, the thought and the uh, just the responsibility of being a parent. And then like, I just I just want to go and lie in a swimming pool. I just want to go out in a caravan and forget about all my troubles for a little while. So yeah, I think Just a warm pair of slippers. That's all he needs, <laughs> that one. And there are obviously timeless traits, but, but you're right. Like the mythology often changes. Um, I think Kurt Russell is very much our, our Father Christmas. I'm struggling to think of anyone else that kind of. What does that say about us? We're just sexier than people used to be Absolutely. in the past. I mean, I love how he won't allow himself a full white beard because Kurt Russell. You know, I know. Still got. I, I am. I'm genuinely convinced that the Santa Chronicles came about. Christmas Chronicles, sorry, came about because somebody watched uh, Hateful Eight and was just like, "That beard. We need more of that beard. Look at that beard. Good lord!" Um, and, and that is genuinely the, the the impetus for this entire franchise. I will sound like a really weak source media studies student, which I guess I am in so many ways. But you can look at the Christmas Chronicles Santa as the benevolent god, as the all-knowing, all-seeing, ultimately knows what's going on. He's got his hand on the tiller. What he does in both movies is resolves family issues, mm-hmm. uh, uh, trauma, distrust. He is the God, and I mean this in the kind of big white beard, kind of Christian type God, that knows all and just wants to guide you towards a sense of self-knowledge and realisation. Mm, your your best life kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's not going to fix it for you, but he will do lots of magically magical sparkly stuff to kind of nudge you into the correct way. Um, and that and that is kind of I think the fantasy right now is that we all want to get along, but increasingly we are being triggered and just storming out and making our own mess. And look, I know this is again a bad media studies essay, but that's why this is a, <laughs> this is why this, these movies are such good fantasies right now. Is because we would love to all be getting along, but we need this impartial, benevolent, wonderful, all-knowing person to just get us in the same room and sort it out. You know, when mm-hmm. Julian Dennison is storming off, even then, the Christmas Chronicles, Kurt Russell Santa saying, "Don't go." You've yeah. you've spray painted my sleigh and been a total nightmare, but we still don't want you to go. Yeah. And look, I know this is weak, but I do think that's different to, for example, the bad Santa, bad Santa, or this 90s, you know, uh, uh, Santa, which is all about himself and him unscrooging himself. Which he wasn't even that scroogey. Like, he literally works at a toy company. Now, admittedly, the first thing we see him doing is interrupting a female black colleague, which is not a great look. And then then it cuts to a, a fake Santa with a lady on his lap. Yeah. yeah, it was like. It's, I mean, it's, it's a very cynical time, but it, you know, extending the metaphor in that case, that's 
the sort of apotheosis, right? That's the that's the man becoming God mm. in the 90s. So maybe they felt like they had a little bit more power back then <laughs> in an era of, you know, economic stability agency, and relative yeah. peace agency. So all they, you know, they thought, okay, we're on a steady upward climb here. Things are getting better. Um, and right now we're like, just somebody tell us how to fix it, please. Is it not? Can somebody. Please, someone take the tiller and... and- just lead us where we need to go. Also, <laughs> Santa take the wheel. It felt so nineties when he has that scene in the Santa Claus where he comes in with some great BS, saying, "Oh yeah, all my clothes got damaged by the dry cleaner, and I only have this." And then he orders all the food, and I just think, um, isn't it very nineties that you have so much money in your toy company that you're just going to order in like lobster thermidor? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway. Oh, dreams. Dreams, dreams yeah. exactly. Dreams. We're just halfway through an Empire magazine meeting. Terry just goes, oh, you know what? Let's get it. Bring it in. Yeah. I'll have the suckling pig. Lovely stuff. I'll have the salad dressing on the side. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be lucky if you get someone running to press at most magazines yeah, yeah. these days, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's perhaps a slightly dark portrayal of where we are as a species let's talk about mrs claus though now obviously the brief didn't include the santa claus 2 where santa has to get married by christmas eve because of reasons in the even smaller print um yeah but so that we'll we'll leave that aside but Mrs. Claus was one of the big attractions of the of the Christmas Chronicles too, because of course Goldie Hawn uh, cameos at the very end of the first one, but only really comes into play here. Now, my big problem with this film, really overall, was actually that you don't hire Goldie Hawn and then not give her hilarious things to do. Preach, yeah. Helen. Preach. Yeah, and she just sort of kind of her traits are sort of whittled down to this idea that she's uh, she just wants to be a mum. You know, she's Mrs. Claus, but what she's really missing is her own children to sit down with and and dote on. And it's mm. like you've created this whole town, which, to be fair, they do recognise, and they push that in one of the slightly more subtle pushes for, like, forced feminism that I've seen in a while. I'm looking at you, Endgame. Um, <laughs> so that is... I mean, I'll take my wins where I can. Um mm. But you're right. I just feel like she was vastly underused. I think everything got piled onto onto cut, and um, Goldie just read bedtime stories, which is a shame. She just has to be sweet. Nursing a reindeer was her big moment. Yeah, mm. she Goldie didn't get to go. She had to send a kid off to go and do a, a heavy lifting for her while she tended to a tended to a dying reindeer. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it is disappointing. I mean, the thing about the the kids uh, angle was done before. I think better in in my personal childhood Santa movie, which was Santa Claus the movie. Imaginative title there. It must have taken them a really long time to come up with it. Um, but in that one, you know, it is a it is a plot point that these two never had kids that they wanted them. And that that is why they essentially become Santa and Mrs. Claus. That is why they are chosen to become Santa and Mrs. Claus, because they can this way they can love all the children in the world. And it's actually, I mean, it's a really good basic premise. The problem is when you don't maybe play it that well. Mm. And and, you know, I don't think this film goes all the way with that. No, you know. I think there are moments where both Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell do it really beautifully, actually. And I think that final scene with Julian Dennison is really nice because you can see that there's actual care for him there. They want him back. There isn't anger so much as just 
compassion. And you I think buy I thought it. that was lovely. You just buy you it. You do. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Um, but but it it did feel a little forced in a way that I I didn't want it to. She bakes cookies. I know that's kind of the Mrs. Claus thing. But could we? I, oh, look, I didn't want her to rock up like Tank Girl with a bazooka, but I. I, I did. <laughs> as soon as I said it, Beth, I was like, what was I, what was I thinking? Um, what am I saying? Because that's like the Santa Claus where that guy comes up with a with Santa Tank and he's. Anyway. Oh, um, yeah. So I just felt like. I just wanted her to do something. I wanted her to do something. Just be Goldie Hawn. I didn't want to look instead of the first wife. She was the first wife. Yeah. (laughs) And even in the first wives club, she was she was better than this. Better used. Potusing around. Yeah. My only hope is because it is Chronicles. The Christmas Chronicles three is is her story. That's the only thing I can hope we kind of come up with. Yeah. That could be fun. Yeah. Sorry. Briefly talk about the third one. Santa Claus three is when I think they just go, let's go bonkers. And they bring they bring in Jack Frost. Um, that was Martin Short, Martin right? Short, that's right, who is camping it up, having a great time. I wouldn't be against that level of banana-rosity for the third one. Mm. Um, I don't want them to expand the universe anymore, thanks. And, yeah. and look, we can mm. have fun with this uh, Christmas Chronicles movie too, going, by the way, North Pole has trees on it, does it? That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, it's magic, Ali. It's magic. The Aurora so Borealis. Over the, I just, so again, you, Any... you can't come at this movie with logic. In its defense, every single Santa movie seems to make that mistake, which is they all say Santa's workshop. And, and some of them actually go, it's underground at the North Pole, which is, of course, water. Yeah. It's entirely water. <laughs> uh, so... There's, like, there's been some song that said North Pole because I grew up with him living in Lapland. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. And that's the image you have. And this is such like separating the peas on a plate, but it was like... It really is. Lapland. We we all know what that means, right? It's Norway and Finland and... Okay, great. It's very north. It's very far north. Like in its defence, you know, it's just not quite... North Pole, yeah. One thing I think that both f- films do well, and I think we should give credit where it's due for a minute, is is in the kids. Yeah. Um, because um, within seconds of meeting Jack in this film, I would have died for him. Like, he is absolutely adorable. Um, and I thought that, you know, little Darby Camp was, was very sweet in the first film. And she manages to be sweet even when being a lot more teenage and a lot more angst here. So agree. Um, but... But Jack was where it was at for me. He was he was adorable, and and I think that's true as well of um, Charlie in the Santa Claus. Like you, you desperately want the best for this kid because he just seems really sweet. I was yeah. worried Jack was going to be a nebbish Woody Allen impersonation, and he's not. <laughs> and I think that is traditionally how the anxious kid is done. Mm. And actually, you go, no, I get it. You lost your mum. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no judgment yeah. here. Your dad is working on it. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I entirely agree. I think I think at first I was a bit worried haha, about Anxiety Kid, but we we got there, and I think he was really good with the whole cookie thing. I know it, you could see it from a mile away, but I liked oh, it. Yeah. By the way, bloody hell, an explosive cookie for a what was it a puma, which is called a Yule puma or something? What's the yeah, Yule was, cat? Yule cat. <laughs> because of reasons. I mean, I, I didn't. Snow leopards don't live in that part of the. You know what? Never mind. It's, it's Christmas. 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 Yeah, Christmas. Christmas. Any plot hole, any inconsistencies, you just get a big brush and go Christmas. And exactly. You just paint across all of it. Christmas. Snow puma. Christmas. It's all you can do. 
It's like in The Simpsons when they're like, it's wizards, wizards did it. It's Christmas. Wizards Christmas. did it. <laughs> wizards did it. Wizards, Magic. I mean, wizards did it. Yeah, he does have a pointy hat. You know, it doesn't say wizard on it, but he can do everything. He can Like, why is Malcolm McDowell and in like a Turkish elf that speaks <gasps> English? Beth, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I went, this movie, this movie has gorged itself on plot. Yeah, <laughs> it is stuffed to the ribs with mm, plot. It is. Do do we need factions of elves? Is that is that a thing that we need to, for our universe to be complete? Also, a big proper chuckle at. I didn't expect Turkey to look like this. <laughs> oh good. No, no. <laughs> so good. Um, can we talk briefly? You please, Helen, shut me down. But can no, we no. talk briefly about how the Santa Claus very much ignores all concept of Christian faith, and. Yes. And this is very interesting, the Christmas Chronicles, that it really does homogenize, commodify, McDonald's efficate Christianity's own myth making. The star of Bethlehem is the is mentioned. The boondoggle mm. MacGuffin doodad that powers the Chris it, that is you are skating on <laughs> some interesting ice. <laughs> mm. And he, they really do acknowledge that he was Saint Nick. He was the guy that just liked giving presents to kids, which is totally fine. And, you know, we, we, that's interesting that they do that because a lot of Christmas movies, particularly Santa films, just ignore. Just ignore it. Just ignore yeah. it. I mean, it is a secular as well as, I think, a religious holiday these days. You know, I'm, I'm, it's a really interesting fine line to walk, isn't it? I know Jewish people who celebrate Christmas. I know Muslim people who celebrate Christmas, and because uh, it's just fun, right? It's you know with trees and sparkly lights. I mean, sparkly Winter things. Solstice, generally. It's, it's a, it's a yes, Wiccans, everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Christmas, of course, as you as you point out, is basically stolen from like sixteen different faiths to begin with. So um, fine, cool, uh, but yeah, it's sometimes it, it does feel a little bit more they've turned commercialized than others a portion of the christmas story into unobtainium and that's mm. interesting that that is basically my only point i don't have much more to add but i think it's interesting <laughs> that, that they felt the confidence to do that yeah i think i think i think that's fair i think they i think they have you can walk a line between coupling and un uncoupling the Santa myth. Like again, Miracle on 34th Street, there are elements of Christianity in there. Mm -hmm. At the very least, they get married in a church. You know, <laughs> that's something. Um, Chris has clearly put in a word with that priest. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Santa Claus is, is entirely secular. And, and the fact that he is working in a toy company to begin with does once again, yeah. you know, indicate it's a little bit commercial as well. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of Big in that way. Mm. Well, you're having this body yeah. change uh, comedy set up and there's the toys and, you know, all the rest of it. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Hello, I'm Sam Pei. And I'm Martin Zotzorstwick. And together we host a show called Song, Song by Song, Song, where we deal with the music of Tom Waits. We've been going since uh, 2015. Every week we talk about a new track. Uh, we've made our way through 15 seasons so far of his music. And now we're going back to the early years. And if you haven't listened to Tom Waits before, it's not the growly stuff. It's not the stuff where he's hitting an automobile with a bone for percussion. <laughs> it's a nice, easy way into his music. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you should check out our website, songbysongpodcast.com, or put Song by Song into your podcatcher of choice. All right, I think we should we should probably wrap this up because we're, we're getting on in terms of time. So we have to look at 
two criterion here, the Christmassiness and the objective quality. Let's start with Christmassiness. I feel like both of these films are going to score quite high here. Um, I've been I've been, I've been completely inconsistent because I'm a terrible podcast host. We can either score it out of five or out of ten, whichever you would like. But uh, the Christmassiness of both films, please. Mm. Out, out of five, sorry, out of ten, out of five. Either, yeah, I've been completely inconsistent. So at this point, <laughs> eh, you know, um, I mean, the Christmas Chronicles two. As I say, it falls in going back to what I first said in in terms of just like gargantuan glitter ball, like mm. can barely look at it for Christmas. I think probably yeah. ten. What what are we do like ten candy canes? Yeah, out of ten candy canes. <laughs> ten maybe, candy canes in that respect. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was really charming. I liked that Russell, you know, a, a stalwart in like action films hasn't been kind of made the butt of a joke. I liked a lot of that, like. They take a lot of action stars. They take Dwayne Johnson and make him the Tooth Fairy. Was that the one he was in? And mm-hmm. like he's yep. all the pacifier and kind of puts them in these very kind of feminine or you know soft surroundings, and that's kind of the joke. But he kind of holds on to his integrity here, which I really liked. And um, and the kids stole the show for me, so I'll say seven candy canes. If I'm doing this, I just made up my my own currency here, so I do apologise. But and then the Santa Claus. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a lump of coal there in the in the heart of Christmas. So I'll say <laughs> six candy canes on the Christmas front. I mean, for the kid alone, we're talking <laughs> seven or so, seven candy canes. <laughs> I wonder with Christmas Chronicles two about how Christmassy it makes me feel, and mm-hmm. I don't know how Christmassy it makes me feel in so much as that it is a big romping, throw everything in it adventure story with Santa trappings on it. So I think it's a seven as well. It sure looks the part and it's got all the Christmas ingredients. But I think the first Christmas Chronicles, which I keep bringing up and I apologise, is in of itself purer on the Christmas factor. Mm. So I think it's seven candy canes for me for Christmas Chronicles. And I think the Santa Claus's concept, as I keep banging on about, is a niner in the Christmas factor. I think that is gold. I think in the pitch meeting, that's gold. Your dad becomes Santa. (laughs) It just doesn't, the execution just doesn't come together. So I think it is a five for me. Okay. And I'm actually really quite gutted that Santa Claus was as Kringle versus Kringle, as I I had no memory of it being, because I think as a child, mm. I just have forgotten all boring stuff. Yeah. I did I did enjoy the the Judge Reinhold character in that. I thought he was just the right side <laughs> of of annoying. Yeah. And um he's he's not Ned from from Granada, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah, um, and 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 I also like again referring to the sequel, which you know is not in the brief, but uh, you know their marriage works out. It's not like she suddenly leaves him and goes back to Scott Calvin, and and I thought that was a, a, a smart piece of storytelling. Actually, I think that's that's the right thing to do because he's not a bad guy. No. He's just uh, just a, a nerd, really, uh, which was which is good. And yeah, they're they're interestingly that plot device about parents being convinced by getting the present they should have gotten in childhood is is used a lot a in lot. these movies it comes up in fred claus as well it redeems the villain of fred claus i had a good time um, with weenie whistle there was something about watching judge reinhold having to <laughs> act his socks off a weenie whistle just going you need to sell this because this is the apex of the this movie got. so just act judge more act more I couldn't believe it. and it was so tiny it was so tiny <laughs> 
Oh, oh and also, I forget the actress's name. When the parachuted presents land on her head, and she has to go, oh, right, shut. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the take. That's the take. We've only got one parachute <laughs> drop, so I would love it if secretly there's a deleted scene where that's Operation Christmas Drop, and it wasn't. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> if, if only that were Operation Christmas Drop, that would have been that would have been fun. And um, did you do both? Have I? I can't remember if I interrupted you. Quality to do, yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of Christmasiness, I think I agree with you. I think uh, in terms of looks, I mean, Christmas Chronicles 2 is like a 14 out of 10. <laughs> like it is it is insanely Christmassy looking. It could not look more Christmassy. I don't think there's a single inch of the screen not that, that looks out of place that way. Even when they're in Hawaii, you're like, yes, I that agree. is the kind of Christmas oh, holiday I would like. I hate to, I hate to correct you. Cancun, darling. Can- Cancun, I apologize. Can- Cancun. <laughs> Thank you. I was just, but yes, a Felice never dad as an opening to a movie makes me go, mm-hmm. yeah, Felice, <laughs> love it, love it. It's a banger. Um, it's a banger. It is a banger. There's some great Christmas tunes, and that's another thing you can tell the good Christmas movies from the from the cheap ones. They have the money for the hits, the budget, mm. yeah, mm-hmm. the budget. Mm. The musical budget is there. Uh, but yes, anyway, so I agree with you. Overall, I think it it doesn't always have quite as much heart as you want, but I think it's still a seven or an eight for me, Christmas Chronicles 2, because it is, you know, it does still have Kurt Russell as Santa and Darlene Love singing a Christmas song. So I'm like, that is, I don't need much more than that for a Christmas. Um, and then the Santa Claus looks the part. Interesting depiction of the North Pole, I think. Uh, interesting use of kids, as elves, like unaltered kids, you know, Fred Claus kind of maps adult faces on children in a slightly horrifying way. But this one just had kids and and it kind of works. Uh, they're kind of fun. So, but a lot of it does play, take place around the rest of the year. So I think that's probably a six yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like, I like the joke from the girl going, it's just, I'm a thousand years old. Oh, you look good for your age or blah, blah, blah. Um, it's very 90s. It's very stand up routine, but I kind of enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, it's cheesy. And then objective quality, a slightly uh, tougher measure, perhaps, for these two films. I can jump in if you want me to. Yeah. Get the br- I thought I'd done it. Sorry, with the... Yeah, you, you kind of did, actually, I think. But, I think um, it's on me. I would say, frankly, I think Christmas Chronicles isn't as good as I, I wanted it to be. I think it mm. is bloated, and I think it needed trimming trimming down. I, I would give it... <laughs> Not trimming the tree. No, 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 no. Uh, six and a half, I think I'd go for. And I think uh, Santa Claus, sadly, it gives me no pleasure, is a five as well. I am actually going to go exactly the same. I think I think it's... Uh, I, I enjoyed the first Christmas Chronicles. I, I, there's lots to enjoy in this one. I, I just, you know... With with plots for these movies in particular, I'm very much of the keep it simple, stupid yeah. kind of school of thought. Like the, the more streamlined, the more elegant you can make your plot, the better. Mm. And uh, and both of these get a little bit lost in the weeds at times, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, well, that is basically it in that case. Um, thank you so much to Beth Webb and Ali Plum. Where can people find you guys for more of your wisdom and insights? Well, I'm Beth K. Webb on Twitter. And if you ever want to find out about the Bechdel Test Fest and what we're up to and what we're about, we are at Bechdel Test Fest. Easy enough. Uh, my name is Ali Plum and I'm on the internet. Uh, my name has a B on the end, so it's A-L-I-P-L-U-M-B. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and all that banana. Um, and sometimes on YouTube and the iPlayer and something called British Broadcasting Corporation Radio 1 Radio. So yeah, 
I'm everywhere. I'm like a bad smell. You can't get rid of me. Um, <laughs> wouldn't want to, Ellie. Wouldn't, wouldn't want, want to. to. You smell of cinnamons and, and oranges. Oh, too Very kind. Christmassy. Too kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is all for today. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. And Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. If you've enjoyed listening to Bar Humbug, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps other people find the show. You can also subscribe so you automatically get the rest of this podcast lined up hassle-free and it's only going to be a limited run up to Christmas. It won't be using up all your data. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can pre-order my book, Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, which comes out in February 2021. You can also, of course, find me in Empire Magazine, which is the world's best film magazine for my money. And I'm on the Empire podcast every week and host the podcast, His Darker Materials, to coincide with BBC HBO drama, His Dark Materials. If you'd like to connect with me or comment on the show or have any queries or comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Helen L. O'Hara, or you can email producers at stripped.media. And I'd like to thank all the people who have made this podcast happen. Thanks to all the team at Strip Media, including Ben Williams, who edits this podcast, as well as Tom Wally, Dave Corkery and Kobe Omanaka, who have all helped produce and put this show together. Thanks also to all of my guests who have been absolutely wonderful in giving up their time to watch some Christmas films that are not always 100% great. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and others produced by Strip Media, please visit www.stripped.media to find out more. And that's it. Merry Christmas. You just heard a Stripped Media production. 